Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Rachel and Israel Fair with you as uh, Satyar Shah taking a maintenance day. I believe it's a real maintenance day. You know, not one of the uh, Canucks reported maintenance days <laughs> that are actually like day to day or maybe more serious injuries. Yeah, we'll see Sat in about uh, two to three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought it was a maintenance day. Yeah, he's out two to four. Sorry. <laughs> Torn ligaments. <laughs> he needs surgery, just a maintenance day. What? How did that happen? Uh, yes, we got a couple of Canucks games going this weekend. Canucks and Leafs Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Canucks will be in Boston. Uh, so they practice today in Toronto and are getting ready for uh, the uh, couple of games they've got this weekend. It is Hall of Fame weekend. And it's a it's a very Vancouver yeah, feel to Hall of Fame weekend. This is the time where Vancouver takes over Toronto. Yes. And in it, in this case, the way the Hall of Fame set up. Yeah. There are posters of the Sedins <laughs> yes. outside the Hall of Fame right now. And Roberto Luongo, although I I believe he's wearing Panthers gear. Oh man. Since when did that become a thing? Like going into the yeah. the Hockey Hall of Fame. The ba- Luongo it's was the asked about thing. it today. I liked his answer though. Yeah. I'm going in Team Canada. Like you're not going in as anything. You just, <laughs> you're just, you're going in as Roberto Luongo, uh, Bobby Lou. Uh, before we get into some of the Canuck stuff, you have a you have a thought on the uh, the Hall of Famers, the Vancouver Hall of Famers, Bobby Lou, Henrik, Daniel. I mean the Sedins. There's there's not much left to be said about the Sedins. Yannick Hansen's going to join us a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Roberto Luongo. Uh, like I know. Um, he had some in- tremendous years in Florida and even managed to kick around longer than most goalies are able to in this league. But it's really a shock, like especially when you look at his career. How did this guy not win a Vesna? Right? It's true. So many good years. But Martin Brodeur had uh, had a stake had a stake in yeah, all those Vesna early, early on, and then you know, I, I guess it kind of rotated through a bunch of guys you know Lundqvist gets one Miller gets one uh yeah the thing with Luongo was the the consistency right nine nine nineteen nine twenty save percentage almost every year uh played a ton of games yeah statistically there, there's you know very little argument uh he's very polarizing in this city maybe less so since he hasn't played here in a long time but at Your his time peak, heals all woo, wounds it was that was I don't know like I think about the way we we look at JT Miller now Oh boy! And how polarizing he seems to be day to day. Yeah, like that doesn't that's that's that doesn't even touch what Luongo was at his peak. The Sedins were the rare Vancouver superstar where there was almost a consensus of love. Eventually, yeah. Once they once they crested it, yes. you know, once it was like okay, after the first. Well, mind you, even after the the Cup final, you know, there was the whole soft thing that kind of followed around with some of the mm-hmm. fan base, mm-hmm. but. It's almost hard not to like the Sedins. And you remember back to their final game at Rogers Arena against Arizona. I mean, it's for a lot of reasons, it's one of the more memorable nights at Rogers Arena in recent memory because there just hasn't been many others. Um, so good for them. Uh, we'll have some more uh, Hall of Fame talk coming up as uh, as the show goes on. We'll ask uh, Yannick Hansen about it. Also, David Pinota is going to join us in the second hour of the show. So... This weekend ahead for the Canucks, Izzy. They lose Wednesday to Montreal, and it's a blowout. 
He got blown out by a team that's essentially tanking right now. And yeah, maybe the score did them no favors. They're not getting the goaltending. They had their uh, signature, I guess you could say, brutal turnovers that lead to goals against. It's, it's not great when that's your signature move, you know? Um, it's not like the one-footed wrister or anything like that. It's uh, it's giving the puck away and, and just completely leaving your so goalie you, you out You talk about the Sedins, their signature, the cycle, electrifying goals, Roberto Luongo. I saw a video that the NHL put out. Everyone's like, that glove, man. Like you, yeah. this, Right now, the Canucks signature, you just said it, Reed. <laughs> Lazy turnovers. Lazy turnovers. Mind-boggling turnovers. That's, that's the one that it is. And... Uh, it, it's cost them a lot of games, as we know, and it's been a, a theme of this team over the last couple of years, especially early on in seasons, and it cost them their season last year. I, I'm kind of wondering now, Izzy, especially with uh, Jim Rutherford's comments earlier on this week here on uh, on this show, how big are these next three games? Because he mentioned specifically this road trip is where we've got to start turning it around. Right now they're 500 on the road trip. Now we're going through a gauntlet. The Leafs are playing a lot better after their California road trip from hell. And yeah, they'll be on the second half of a back-to-back, but I'm not gifting the Canucks any wins right now. Then you've got Boston, one of the hottest teams in the league. And then Tuesday, one of the hottest starting teams of the league in the Buffalo Sabres, who've already beaten the Canucks pretty comfortably, as we know from the jerseys thrown on the ice in the home opener. Yep. So... If we're to believe Jim Rutherford at his word, these next three games could be and likely will potentially decide how this front office takes a look at this team and what they decide to do with this team moving forward. Right. You look at that gauntlet kind of being laid down, what kind of response. And that we're already at this point in the season talking about that. And we're not, you know, it's not the... Kind of the classic, all right, let's plot out the road trip. How many points do you think that they need to have to stay in the playoff chase or or establish themselves in, in the standings? No, it's it's really game to game. Are they going to respond? How are they going to look? Yeah. Are we going to be talking about comments from Jim Rutherford about Bruce Boudreaux or comments about Jim Rutherford about the way that the players are playing, uh, the lack of structure, all of that kind of stuff? It, it very much is on the players to respond to that and to... I guess rise above it in a Toronto team that talent level quite high, yep. a Boston team that's off to a flying start and talent level very high, and, and a, a Sabres team that we saw here on opening night that uh, they've got, uh, you know, it's not just that hot start that they had three years ago. Yeah. And then the season after the first month went away. Like they, they're a very young team. They play fast. They've they've got a lot of guys on the blue line that can move the puck. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we helps see when that you got a couple of first overall picks on your defense. <laughs> it does. Right? It does. Uh, Darlene is actually looking like that first overall pick, and you know for a while it looked like Hughes was going to be the best defenseman out of that class. But uh, Darlene, oh boy, uh, he has looked really really good. How did you view Rutherford's comments? You know, there was a wonder if the Canucks would respond on the ice. Uh, they got the win over Ottawa, played well in the third, mm-hmm. tried to at least uh, put out the narrative that they were banding together. Then they laid an egg in Montreal. So on the balance, the two games following Rutherford's grenade being dropped here on the show, there hasn't been much of a response. But how did you view what Jim Rutherford said earlier this week? 
his whole career has been kind of, I guess, identified by a couple things. Beyond, he's won the Stanley Cup. He's been a longtime GM in the league. Those kind of bigger picture cliche things. One is the traits. Yeah. And we have, we're still waiting for that shotgun burst of traits to happen. But the second one is, and this even goes back to Carolina when he was in a smaller market without a dedicated hockey following, he's going to be brutally honest in the media. And it is kind of a move of his. And he's not like some of the stuff you go back and look at some of the stuff that he said in Pittsburgh, a team that had Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin and at the time, Marc-Andre Fleury and Chris Letang still there. And when they would be in slumps, he would say borderline wild stuff (laughs) all the time. And that was a team that won back-to-back Stanley Cups while he was there. Yeah. So (laughs) for him to say what he said to you guys um, doesn't, doesn't surprise me at all. I thought it was probably tactical. The reaction to it showed me that, okay, there's still not, you know, there's certainly not buy-in from the fan base, whether that is because of the lack of trades or that people don't fully believe in the vision that's been presented by this group, or if that's just because people have, or they're still burned by the last 10 years and and what's happened here. Uh, And and they're going to, they're going to have to, to see it, to believe it. I thought, I thought that he was Pretty fair, pretty honest. And I know then the last, you know, there was the Hockey Night interview and then there was yep. the interview with you guys where there's a couple of takeouts, most of them Bruce Boudreaux related, that has really got people going. But I think outside of those takeouts, like everything is 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 very fair. And even the things, whether it's the Boudreaux contract or the team is lacking structure and system, yeah, maybe those are interesting things that you can, you know, have a, a broader discussion about. But I don't see those as as defining statements by by any means, um, and we, as we know, we, we're watching this team every couple nights. Uh, oh, yeah. th- there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that needs to be fixed. Well, it's it, it's not only about the structure; it's about the mistakes on the ice. Like no coach is uh, telling his team to execute in that way, right? And this management group knows that. Uh, it's no secret that the relationship with Bruce Boudreaux could be better. But also, there was a lot of criticism in there for the players. And there should be a lot of criticism for the players as far as how they've played and how they've conducted themselves. And I know today they had what was a uh, tough practice or uh, a hard battle practice. Yeah, some how, physicality. Yeah, some physicality. Luke Shen and JT Miller going at each other this time in a practice, not in a game. <laughs> um, but, you know... Should that be news? Like, I, I would hope you have hard practices often, that, you, that your practices are competitive more often, and that it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb when you have a hard practice. So we'll see where this goes. And as Brudro said after, after practice today, you know, like, great, saw it in practice. I'd love to see it in a game. <laughs> so, you know, he's kind of taking veiled shots at his team even in the media right now. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, It's not like Boudreaux has been Mr. Positive and Mr. Enthusiasm in, yeah. in, in his avails, too. He's had some pretty pointed stuff. It's very different than what we saw last season when the results were significantly better. Yeah. Um, but like, I look at what Rutherford said and, and the way that there's been kind of this ping pong between him and Boudreaux at times in the media because Rutherford will say something, Boudreaux will be asked about it. I guess 
if I was a Canucks fan and I, I was disappointed by Rutherford's comments or I found them to be a distraction or whatever, the thought there is that it's it's a, a disappointment overall that there's not alignment there. And yeah. until the Canucks make a long-term decision, and this like this is the thing is we we spent shows throughout the summer going this isn't surprising yeah. when they decided not to give him a longer term extension and hey I know Sat said the other day like they're if they're gonna do a coaching search at some point it's gonna be really thorough and they're gonna look at Europe we were we were talking about that in the summer yeah like, this is nothing new and the idea was you can start the season and build off of what you did in the second half then we're gonna have a different conversation you look at the record they certainly have not built off anything from last season. Well, and they haven't looked like they've taken any significant steps, right, in terms of how they play, the way they generate, the way they uh, repress scoring chances. Like, none of the underlying metrics are saying anything better about where the team is headed anyhow. So it comes down to two things, the way it's being coached and also the players on the ice. And I think Rutherford was very clear that both of those things, right now, he is not happy with. So they have the hard practice today. And a couple of notable changes. We know Tanner Pearson's out four to six, having hand surgery. Um, so Ilya Mikheyev, who's been playing with Pedersen and Kuzmenko, is now moved to the top line with JT Miller at center and Brock Besser on the wing. And then Nils Hoaglander, who scored the other night his first of the season, is now on the right wing of Pedersen and Kuzmenko because, you know, him and him and Petey are buds, so they've, they've got to play together. <laughs> don't still un, still don't really get that logic from Bruce Brudrow, but I want to focus more on Mikheyev. I've actually really come around on Mikheyev. I think the points have been fine, but in general, I, I think his game has really been one of the few positives I've seen recently for this team. Uh, how have you seen Mikheyev's game so far? Given that he came off the injury and the bad timing to start the season. I think he's been pretty consistent, right? Yeah. And it's, I guess it's, it's setting the expectations for what he's supposed to be, which is why I found to your point about moving him in the lineup and what Boudreaux said about that to be worth unpacking. Because if you're looking at he, he, so he's talking about, and, and Boudreaux said this, he's always, coaches are always looking to establish duos. Who's going to play alongside a different player and the Canucks have really struggled with that going back a while now. Yeah. And it's, you know, is, is so is Mikheyev going to be the number two guy? Or, and I, I think he could be. Yeah. That was like, we spent so much time in the offseason going, look, they've got a lot of options on the wing. And if they're going to start Miller at center and they're going to be able to move these players around, there's a lot of stuff to explore. And we've seen some of it, right? Yep. Like we've seen, oh, Patterson and Kuzmenko together. There's something there. Uh, you, you look at, what we've seen, we obviously know that Horvat and, and Tanner Pearson has probably been the one <laughs> duo that's stuck together for years. Well, it's not the exciting one. Yeah. Actually, Miller and Pearson were really strong together as a duo last year. Yes. Whether they played with Besser or with Garland, they mm-hmm. they did produce quite a bit. And that's, that, and that's the thing. Like That's why and, and Pearson's out now, so it's not going to be Well, they came into the season banking on that, and Pearson's been, I mean, even prior to the injury, and it sucks that he's out. But, yeah. Um, you know, he hasn't been good enough. No, period, he, and he, that, and that, that's a huge drop off because he's a guy that whether it was with Bo or whether it was with JT Miller, he was the second guy on that line. Yeah. And you would rotate Besser. You could rotate Garland. And while Tanner Pearson overall is 
uh, he's certainly not a sexy player. Right? Yeah, it's kind of unspectacular, but he's not. He is not the rotating piece. Yes, and their coaches put extreme value in that. And to this point, like I think that's the biggest thing with Besser and Garland, and part of the reason that this management group seems keen to at least explore trade options. Neither guy has come in. And in Besser's case, it, it goes back to the 2019-20 season where the lotto line, it wasn't Pedersen and Besser. It was Pedersen and Miller, and Besser was the third guy. Garland and Besser have not made any points for themselves. of like, we're the, we're the second guy in the deal. We're no, yeah. We know they're not going to drive the line. We know that they're not going to be the best player on a good line. Well, Garland's been basically Mr. Fix-It. Even yes. with Travis Green, it was like, I just got to I gotta put him on a line to give them some extra energy, right? But he and wasn't I, a I staple know, like, on any it's line. It's been a thing of like, I've said this myself, I'd like to see him get an opportunity to be the second guy entrenched with yeah. somebody and not moving around. I understand why there's trepidation from the coaching staff to do that. But where Mikheyev comes in is, okay, is he going to be a guy that they can rely on? as the second guy that they on a line with, with a player that's better than him and they can work together. And then you, you figure out that third player. So the reason I like Mikheyev with JT Miller is he's a stronger defensive player. And it it even bears out in, in some of the numbers, how he's played over the last seven, eight games has really been able to repress scoring chances against while he's on the ice, the Canucks have. So, it makes a lot of sense to pair him with JT Miller, who's going through it right now. When it comes to Miller and Besser, they've also, like, they don't have the greatest foot speed. They don't have the greatest team speed when they are out there. Mikheyev helps with that. He he provides some things that those players are right now struggling with. And quite frankly, Tanner Pearson wasn't doing anything to help on those fronts. He had also looked a half step slower this year, taking all those penalties that he had been taking, not doing some of the little things like Tanner Pearson has essentially taken over little things, Louie, you know, (laughs) but he actually does a lot of those little things well. And it has led to good play for the team, especially last year when he's been on the ice. Mikheyev isn't going to like, he's going to be able to do a lot of those things. And I think he, if, if given a run next to Miller, I don't think they're moving away from Miller on center at any point, anytime soon, unless, you know, there's another injury in the top six and they just decide to load it up. But they want this to stick, especially with Bo's future uncertain and their best option to find out if this works long-term is to stick them with the guy that they just signed long-term, long-term to be a bit of a two-way ace that they don't mm-hmm. really have mm-hmm. elsewhere on the wing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's why I, I like the signing at the time and I've been you know, intrigued at the low end and, and impressed at the high end for what we've seen from Mikheyev to this point. But yeah. it, it, it I guess it says a lot just about that mix and that it, it, it takes more than just accumulating assets and having interesting players. You know, like you go, you go down the line, Kuzmenko, Mikheyev, Podkolzin, Hoaglander, Garland, Besser, that's Pearson. And like, to me, if you're, if you're going to break down the issues with the Canucks, and why their record is what it is today. Uh, number one at this point has to be Thatcher Demko is not Superman right now, and that's that's just that's a fact, and that's that's hockey. Your goalie is not going to steal you any games. You're probably not going to be very good. 
Yeah. Then there's the smaller conversation about even Quinn Hughes is not quite Superman right now. It's certainly far from his fault that the Canucks are this way, but that's what they were banking on, right? Being yeah. a top-heavy team. But then they're not as bad as their record is, but they're not good. And part of the reason that they're not good is that a player like Pearson has taken a small step back, and he was a player that maybe we don't talk about it every day, yeah. but was important to their foundation because you could rely on him on a line. You knew if you put him with Horvat, with Miller, that you could at least guarantee yourself a floor. Yeah. And that, I think, also applies to OEL and Tyler Myers this year. It really does. Um, Pearson's always been that guy that I've I've called underrated because of those things that you just mentioned. You but, only notice it when it's not going well. Yes, right. <laughs> you really notice it when it's when it's not. It's like going a, it's well. like a tackle in in in, in football. But, it's like hey, this guy's this guy or the guard. It's yeah. Like, you you never care about what the left guard or the right guard's doing. All of a sudden, Aaron Donald's taking them to school, and oh, what, what happened to this guy? Oh, he yeah. was. Well, we we hadn't thought about him for years. It's the, it's the forward version of the stay at home defenseman. You try not to notice him. Like <laughs> you want to notice him when uh, when things are either really good, like he's scoring a goal, or uh, the opposite when he's doing things wrong. And Tanner Pearson obviously done a ton of things wrong this year. Uh, J T. Miller is obviously not devoid of criticism this year, is he? But one of our colleagues here at Sportsnet, uh, Steve Dangle for me, went a little bit overboard in his criticism of JT Miller. And I think it speaks to the hyperbole around JT Miller's slow start this season as well. Have a listen. JT Miller is one of the most visually shocking players I've ever watched. He's just abysmal in his own end. Doesn't give a sh. Can't be arsed. In his own end, if he has the puck, it's a grenade if you're a player on the vancouver canucks and jt miller has the puck in your end it's your job to skate over to him stick lift and take it away it'll be better for your team if you do i've never seen a forward so bad in their own end and he makes eight million bucks so jt miller is the worst defensive forward in his own end (laughs) is that what we're to believe now really I, I get it. JT Miller has not been good enough this year, but we've seen 14 games. And yes, as poorly as it has been, are we going to join, judge every player in the league on just 14 games on that short of a sample size? How about the fact that JT Miller was on the ice for fewer goals against than any of the top Leaf players just last season? By the way, the Canucks had a plus 14 goal differential with JT Miller on the ice last year. Tavares and Nylander, they were both negative. But sure, JT Miller, he's the worst defensive forward in his own end in the league. How about this? Since he's joined the Canucks, he's a top 15 scorer in the league prior to this season and is plus 26 at 5-on-5 five five over that time. Even the expected goal metrics are positive for JT Miller during that time frame. So this isn't all just goalie driven before you start yelling at me on that let's expand this idea league-wide JT Miller is the worst defensive forward in his own end in the league the three seasons before this one his goals against per 60 they were mediocre probably about middle of the pack for guys that were playing a ton of minutes over the course of that time frame but still better than Leon Dreisaitl Connor McDavid Mark Shifley 
Alex Ovechkin, Gino Malkin. Like, need I go on? Do I need to tell you more superstar players that are worse, technically, by the numbers in their own end than JT Miller? And this isn't to say that I agree with the contract with the $56 bucks, because I didn't. I was critical of it in the summer, and I'm still critical of it now. But can we stop with this idea that Miller has just fallen off a cliff and that he is completely incompetent as a hockey player now that he's got his money, now that he's secured the bag? Yeah, he's got some ugly moments in his own end. He's always had that. Have you been watching? This isn't new. But when he goes through a slump, he finds his way out of it, and he will outscore his problems by a significant margin. He did that last year. He's done it throughout his entire Canucks career. And that's not going to change because he started this season slow through the first 14 games. Miller needs to be better, but he will be better. But just stop and spare me with the idea that JT Miller is the worst $8 million player in NHL history. Because it's not true. It's not. He had 99 points last year. It's he would have been true. the second highest scorer on the Leafs last season. Yeah, and I mean we've seen it because we watched those terrible games in the Canadian Division season. Yes, where he was. Look, the part about him throwing up grenades, we saw it. There, and, and the Luke Shen, JT Miller incident. Yes, I was at that game. That and in the seats that I was sitting in, that was in the end where I was. Like I, I it was like as far as we're sitting, you know, it was I was like pretty close to the ice and saw that, and that was. I couldn't remember seeing a play that lazy, that undisciplined in an NHL game. And I'm glad that Luke Shen called them on it. But to extrapolate that as like every time he has the puck, it's a disaster. It, that's, it's extreme. It comes off of the one against Kirby Doc, Kirby Doc the other day. And that one wasn't pretty either. There's been a lot of not pretty plays by JT Miller. I'm not admonishing him of that. But I just I can't believe how quickly we've given up on the player after 14 games this season. By the way, he's still like a point per game. Yeah. You know, and at five on five, the Canucks are minus three with him on the ice so far this season. That's, that's not a terrible number. It's not. But you would think it's it's much worse than it is given the rhetoric and the narrative around yeah, it. Yeah, but he's, you know, he, he this team, he, for him, through 14 games, minus three, that, you know, that needs to be plus six at this point for this 100%. team to be plus nine for this uh, team to be better. Not wrong, but it's a slump. It's not the be-all and end-all of J.T. Miller. Uh, hopefully he'll be better in Toronto tomorrow. Uh, we'll ask uh, Yannick Hansen about this. He's coming up here on the program. Always uh, honest with his thoughts on the Canucks. Yannick Hansen is next on Canucks Central. Canucks Central, it's brought to you by Grip Auto Entire, quality service you can trust in 14 locations to serve you. We come to you live in the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Um, some interesting response to uh, my JT Miller take there. Uh <laughs> 
<laughs> you're an honorary Vancouverite, not a, not after getting after the Toronto media for bleep talking our guys. Only we're allowed to bleep talk our guys. That's from Rafe. <laughs> I sympathize. Yeah. Um, that's a Leafs homer. Please keep him off the airwaves here. I didn't know he was still around. Give me a break, Jay. I I mean, hey, Dangle. I give him credit for what he's done and what he's built. But the JT Miller take was just a, a little offside for me. That's all. And you took him to task. I guess so. Um, Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to stand up for JT Miller, I guess. <laughs> Even though he's been really, really poor to start the season. <laughs> Nobody can really deny that. Let's uh, let's bring in our next guest. It's, uh, it's Yannick Hansen. Here on Canuck Central, this analyst is brought to you by Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Thanks for this, Yannick. Uh, it's another day that ends with why and uh, another week where the Canucks have put together some lackluster performances. Yeah, I'd say even the win uh, against Senators, I didn't like uh, anyone that obviously we're nitpicking out or winning. Uh, it's, it's what we want them to do, but like, like they could have been down three or four nothing in early in the first. Um, it's these giveaways that turns into breakaways, two on one that 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 makes you cringe a little bit because it's it's personal mistakes. Uh, it's those mistakes that should be cleaned up in their game by now. Um, it it shouldn't happen. To be frank, uh, you should know when to cover, who to cover, and how to cover. Um, but but it it just seems to happen over and over again. That game, the offense just happened to bail them out. Um, and again, this team can score. It has never been questioned. We we knew they could do that. Um, so they will have these games where they're able to put away four, five, six goals, um, and and it will it will earn them wins they they probably shouldn't have. Um, again, is it is it a good for a long term? Uh, goal to to be able to play that way no it's it's entertaining yeah and then high scoring um, but again if if you're looking for a team in in the right direction then then those wins they they, they don't mean that much so you know i know early season you could expect some level of sloppiness in a team's play certainly the canucks have been sloppier than than other squads to start the year but the puck management still being an issue and uh, like I, sometimes I wonder, like, have you seen a, a team with worse puck management than what this Canucks team has shown this year? I don't know. That that, that that's harsh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but it's something. It's something we've been talking about for three years now. Yeah. Uh, make, making right decisions, not turning the puck over, uh, making the right play, uh, and all these things. And it's it's repetition. Right? We talk about it uh, uh, from time to time, and obviously it hasn't been cleaned up because we're still talking about it, and it's still the same team. But they're three years older now, most of these guys, and, and we're still seeing it. So it is it is a little bit frustrating from the outside because it, it, in the long and short, you can't win hockey like that. Uh, you can go into a playoff series, it's going to get exploited, um, and, and you'll lose the series because of something as simple as puck management. Um, so if you can't clean it up uh, in the regular season, uh, preseason, all these things, when we keep seeing it, well, it, it doesn't doesn't give you confidence then it can clean it up once uh, it really starts to matter to that point Yannick when you look at the collection I guess especially of forwards the the defense is a, is a separate conversation we know that for this team to be successful they should be 
pushing the offense and trying to score goals. I heard you on the station the other day saying, you know, if they score four goals a game and they're not even winning games, that's not that's not much because when you guys led the the league in goals in in 2011, uh, you guys weren't scoring four goals a game. But then it it brings up that conversation about okay, well, what what should the lineup construction be or how should the lines be put together? Should Bruce Boudreaux and the coaching staff be thinking about, and, and they're still making tons of line changes. They're, there's really not a part of the lineup that's been established to this point. Should they be thinking about that offense and they know that if the Thatcher Demko gets right and they score a lot of goals, that might be a way to win games? Or do you think that they should try to look at the pieces and you look at someone like Ilya Mikheyev, who's now going to play with JT Miller, and I guess the idea there is, well, okay, that line can maybe be a little bit better defensively. Do you think that they should be looking at some of these pieces and thinking, uh, how can we put players together that will improve the defense but may take away a bit of of how much they can score yeah but but they don't have those pieces that that, that's to say that's the issue why we're having the pk issues um i mentioned this uh we're we're killing a penalty right now as a canucks who are you sending out as a forward after bull horvat it's hard to pick those penalty killing forwards that you'd love to see that you know are good defensively the good sticks they got good awareness uh, they don't cheat they block shot all these things they just don't have them um, so it's a personal issue so you can't start plugging or or twickering with with the lineup because you're you're missing these players and again going back to my time uh you had burles with the with the twins and and burles is a, is a phenomenal defensive players uh, he did a lot of good offensive stuff as well but but he could play in his own end no issue he wasn't cheating he was doing all the little things um those players, I don't see them on the Canucks right now where you can just plug this guy in. He will fill in with the offense and can do these things, but he's also very, very good defensively so he can play uh, penalty killing, play five on six and all these things. So you go back to say, oh, do we need to tinker with the lineup? No, this is from up top. You don't have the defensive players on this roster forwards or d's right now that that you really say okay we're killing a penalty or we're up one goal with a minute left the other team has pulled their goalie who's coming out on d um i i have a hard time picking them right now because it's like i i don't see those shot blockers uh, the one that clears the net uh yeah luke luke shen will do this but but in a perfect world he's your sixth seventh defenseman but he's now the guy you're relying on to play with quinn hughes 20 some odd minutes a night and be this guy, but but you're you're paying him minimum. Um, you have all this money allocated to players that, in my opinion, aren't earning their wages, and that's also very harsh because again they they signed these contracts, they earned them. But again, if you want to win in this league, you, your players have to play above and beyond their contract, and, and it, 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 not enough Canucks are doing that right now. And again, it's not like you don't have the money allocated to these positions. Um, you have a, a Tyler Myers, you have an OEL that plays on the back end, and they're making a lot of money, but they're not a number two and number three defenseman right now, and therefore this team is lacking pretty big on, on the defensive side of the game. It's pretty wild um, that they've got three forwards right now that are on pace to score more than 80 points. They've got a point-per-game defenseman, and they've got four wins through through 14. <laughs> you know, it's... Um, yeah, I know it's still a short sample size, but this all comes back to to the defensive frailties 
of this team. And we've heard so much about habits and culture and, and practice. Uh, the, the word out today is, is that they had a, a harder practice and there was uh, some real competitiveness in it. it. It almost feels to me, Yannick, like why, why is that news or why does that feel like news? Shouldn't that be the norm for, for an NHL team? You'd hope so. Uh, you'd hope that the, 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 I know it's a cliche, but practice like you play, play like you practice. Um, when we were practicing, like I wouldn't say we were fighting each other, but but guys were going at each other hard a lot of times. Yeah, there were also times when we went a little easier, um, but but that competitiveness that that you build through your practice, it spills over into the game. And unless you're a veteran team that know how to win, that can just come in and then turn it on, if you're not practicing that way, you're not going to be playing that way. Because um, you can't just okay, let's go, boys, and let's uh, let's start finishing all our checks and all these things. Because if you're not playing with that intensity and in practice, it, it's so hard to just okay, uh, shake your shake your body here. Here we go, and, and then go do it in a game. And we've seen that they aren't able to do that. Um, but you mentioned we're hearing these things come out of practice today. Oh, they worked hard. You have three games into the season, they had a players-only meeting. <laughs> uh, five games in, Bruce was ripping them. Seven games in. That the president was ripping this team. Like it, it, this message is gonna go so old and so stale so quick because you can only do this so many times during a season from outside if this room doesn't take care of itself. Because it can all Bruce can come in, um, Jim can come in, but but the next time it's like, oh, he said that two weeks ago too, and, and nothing really happened. So it's like if this team doesn't police itself, n- nobody can. Um, so, so it comes back on the room, on the leadership, um, that if they can't write this ship, um, maybe it's not the right players. For at least the next month, uh, Tanner Pearson's going to be out of the lineup. It could be a little bit longer. Um, he's a guy that uh, really had set that the standard, I guess, for, for professionalism, for some defensive play. He hasn't been quite at that level this season, which probably says a lot about why the Canucks have dropped off immensely. I think he did a lot of those little things over the last couple of years. He's such a reliable player in the lineup, whether it was with Bo or JT, that you knew if you you put him with those guys that you were going to get something. I know that you've talked about this. Uh, Kevin Bieksa was talking about this as well last week, the idea of when you guys were playing on the Canucks teams that had success, that everybody really knew their roles and you knew where you fit in the lineup. When you lose a player like Pearson, who is certainly not among the 10 or 15 more exciting players on the team, and even if he's not been the player this season that he had been basically for the the rest of his Canucks career, what does it do to a team to lose a guy that has that consistency and has that spot in the lineup that you know what you can get and you can play him with different players and you don't really have to worry about uh, what that fit is going to be or how the lineup might change. Yeah, you, you kind of look at that twofold. Again, you mentioned is not one of the most 10 exciting players uh, in the dressing room. So it's one of those where you hope that next man up mentality. And if it's Herglander or Pod Colson that jumps into the lineup, uh, hopefully they'll come in, they'll fill some, some bigger shoes um, all, all of a sudden and they run with it. Um, but again, what, what Tanner will probably or does probably bring to this team is, is experience. He, he's obviously not the guy you rely on on the ice anymore, but, but he's been around a winning team. He's been around some very, very good teams, knows what it takes, know what it looks like. Um, so, so when you all of a sudden lose that in a dressing room on a daily basis, that, that'll probably hurt more than what he brings on the ice. Yannick Hansen, our, our guest. Um, what have you felt of Mikheyev's game 
uh, this year because it, the thought was always he could be uh, some defensive help on the wing and bring some speed. H- have you seen that from him? Yeah, that, 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 that's uh, long and short, um, kind of what you expect from him. Uh, obviously, he got hurt early, so uh, you, you're right off behind the eight ball right off the beginning. But again, he, 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 he seemed like he can fit in on just about any line. Um, and he is that middle six forward that can fill in the top six, uh, preferably play in, the, in, the, in a shutdown role, uh, hopefully kill some penalties. He's been getting some PP minutes. Um, but again, they signed him to four and a half, so he's going to have to do more than what he did in Toronto and overachieved. He's going to have to score now as well. And, and if he ends up playing with PD for for majority or a JT, he's going to have to put up a, a lot more points um, than he's had in the past uh, because you're playing in that role now. And at the same time, we want the defensive part. So we want him to cover some of the shortcomings, making sure that uh, when he's playing with uh, Kuzmenko and, and PD and those two are cheating offensively, you're not cheating. You're the third man high. You make sure you're covering for your D if they're pinching. Uh, and that's a, a big responsibility when you play with those guys. So their their offense can, can shine through and their creativity doesn't get... Uh, doesn't get uh, pulled out because oh I, I might have to stay back here because I'm the center. No, I have a winger who will cover for me, and, and that's where he's got to fill those shoes. As for for JT, um, you know the giveaways. I think it's funny that that people are pointing it out. It's they've kind of always been here. If if you've been watching the Canucks and if you've been watching JT, it's just usually he's able to outscore some of his defensive issues, Yannick. But if, if you're Bruce Boudreau, is this something you've just got to ride out and hopefully he really starts to find the, the game that he had last year? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ride it out. It's like when, when you're not scoring, you got to stop. Uh, if he's scoring, I, I can live with it. Bruce mentioned it with uh, Ovechkin. He let him get away with a lot of stuff other as well because he was scoring um, so when he's scoring and he's producing in, in spades you'll let it slide and that lease gets a lot longer when he's not scoring not producing he's got to get dialed right back in and say no you're you're hurting the team now um, so it, it's a very very fine line and then you hate to see the the nonchalant turnovers because they they, they, they just it multiplies through the lineup. You, you're sitting on the bench. You're like, this guy, he's doing this. So maybe I'm taking a chance next time. And then it happens on that guy. And then, it, then that snowball just keeps on rolling. Um, so if the top guys aren't on top of their game and aren't doing things right, um, it, it festers through the lineup. So, so they have to get it right from the top. And when you have it right on these guys, then it's a lot easier to hold the other guys accountable because you can always point to your best players. Look at them. This is what they're doing. This is what they're, he's playing. He's getting it in deep. He's making the right play. Um, and you're not. Now you're sitting. Um, but if they see it on the ice and it's happening again and again, and now we're losing games because of it, it's a lot harder to go to the Herglanders and these guys and say, you can't turn that puck over. No, well, he's doing it all the time. Um, so, so you you gotta you gotta clean it up from the top, and then it'll take care of itself. The Canucks have two big games this weekend, but I I, I don't blame fans if they're spending a little bit more time looking at uh, the Hall of Fame weekend. We saw Roberto Luongo and Daniel Sedin on stage at the Hall of Fame today, and uh, the, the, you know the tributes have been there. There's been a lot said about the Sedin twins, about Roberto Luongo. I'm curious as a former player, as a former teammate, to see 
this moment for those guys. You know, we, we saw it to some degree when the Sedins retired and uh, had their moment here in Vancouver. But what does it mean as someone who spent a lot of his career playing with those guys to see them get this 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 moment uh, among you know the all time greats of this sport this weekend in Toronto? Every time we were successful, we were successful because of them. Um, and the team got the credit. The Canucks are so-and-so good. The Canucks won the President's Trophy. The Canucks were in the Stanley Cup final. It was because of these guys. It was how they played. It was how they conducted themselves. It was how they drove the rest of the team to perfectionism. But the team got all the credit, which rightfully so they, they, they should. Um, but it was because of them. Now it's turned around and, and they're getting all the accolades for, for what they did for all of those years. So it's like I said, it, it's great to see. And they're still getting bunched together, which kind of hurts a little bit. I get asked uh, <laughs> quite often, is like, oh, how are these three? And then I bunch them all together because what they did was the same. They, they drove everybody around them to become better through their um, their own willingness to excel uh, and pushing each other in practice uh, in the gym uh, over the summers making sure guys showed up in even better shape than last year and they started that um, and it just drove the rest of the dressing room to become better than we probably were or probably should have been because of players like them and like I said now now they're getting their their moment in the sun where they're not sharing and they're still sharing it because we're talking about it like this um, but they're not sharing it with the Canucks or anybody else no this is this is them getting all, all the all the credit right now so it, it's great to see and again they are the ultimate team players um, they always put the team ahead of themselves um, so it's great to see them they're getting their moment right now. Everyone always talks about the work ethic, like uh, Mike Gillis was on the station yesterday and, and he talked about that uh, quite a bit as well, just the work ethic of, of the entire group that he took over, but led by the Sedins and, and Luongo. Um, could you put into context, uh, you know, the, the work ethic, you know, for us regulars? They're probably, they're, they're probably better shaped than the players right now. Yeah. Uh, to put it simple. <laughs> they're not lifting the same way, but they're they're... They're probably in better shape if I if I know them right. Uh, they they never lack. They they run. They take care of themselves. Uh, so it it's that that way. They're they're just they're excelling. Um, Lou Lou was meticulous in every single way, um, and probably why he was such a good goalie because he despised getting scored on in practice, and it didn't matter what kind of drill it was. If you were just floating around skating circles before, you didn't want to get scored on. Um, and it, again, it, it drives him to, to save every single puck in every single practice. And again, it carries over into the game. Um, and again, with, with Hank and Danny, the, the, the competitiveness, and probably more so between themselves, because there was really nobody close to them in just about anything. Soccer, they were the best. They were the best shape. Ping pong, they were the best. <laughs> Hockey players, they were obviously the best. So the only way they could really compete against each other was with each other. Um, and you'd never hear them say a, a bad word about anybody. The only ones they were uh, mean to upset about was each other when they didn't deliver what they expected. If they played with somebody, myself included, and I had Danny wide open for a backdoor play, but my sauce pass was a butterfly instead of a flat one like Hank would do it, <laughs> he would not complain to me. Um, but if Hank threw a bad pass at him, Hank might get it um, because they kept each other and, and themselves to a higher standard than everybody else. 
Um, so again, it was a treat to be around them because you got nothing from but the best from them. And again, how they how they treated you. Yannick, uh, you're truly the best. Uh, always appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Yannick. Uh, there is uh, Yannick Hansen. So good. Uh, whether he's critiquing the Canucks or telling stories about the Sedins. Yeah. <laughs> My butterfly fast look. <laughs> <laughs> That's like me at Sunday Men's League or in the uh, Can Pro-Am next week. I feel like I should draft Yannick Hansen next Friday in the Can Pro-Am. Seems like a decent bet. Might be a good choice. Uh, easy time to plug my uh, my fundraising efforts for the Can Pro Am as well. Uh, we are with Team Sportsnet. I'm trying to raise money for the Canucks Autism Network. You can head over to my Twitter at danaricho underscore to see what uh, is available. I've uh, gotten close to my goal of raising a thousand dollars. Any donation of twenty-five dollars or more will be eligible for a giveaway of a Bo Horvat authentic 50th anniversary Canucks jersey. So uh, you can check that out at DanRicho underscore. If you are able, please consider donating to the Canucks Autism Network, which does so much great work across this province. It's Dan Richo and Israel Fair. We're going to keep this talk going. David Pinota is going to join us. We'll have some thoughts on what Yannick had to say as well. And some uh, around the league topics. Edmonton and Calgary struggling right now this season. And no World Cup for 2024. That's uh, World Cup of Hockey, of course. The World Cup of Soccer starts in less than two weeks. We might touch on that, too. All right. That's coming up. Canuck Central.